It is Tuesday. The rage is on in Norman. It's been on in Norman for 48 hours at this point. Uh, and this is a new episode of a new era. If we can officially say that because it's happened um, and everything that's happened over the last 48 hours, a new era of Oklahoma football. Uh, joined alongside, as always, Peyton Guthrie at Peyton Glenn on Twitter. Make sure you get him a follow. And our producer, mm-hmm. Matt Burton, who saw, I guess, an insane ruck on the way in. Is that what – what was that? Yeah, there, was, there was two fire trucks, not one, two fire trucks. Ooh. And, uh, like, not a normal tow truck. It was like a double-decker, like, tow truck. It was weird. And then like three or four police cars. It was uh, it was bad. So hope everyone's okay. <laughs> I sure I sure hope so. Uh, it's been a fun forty eight hours, guys. It's been oh I don't know. Like to kind of see the reaction from the fan base and the former players and and all that fun stuff. Uh, it's been it's been new. I guess would be the better way to say it. it's not something that I don't think any of us have been a part of in this in the way that it's happened, the way that it was presented. Um, especially with the stage that Brent Venables had uh, in front of him for the kind of pep rally event that they had. Um, it's been fun. Uh, Peyton, just some reaction quickly over the last 48 hours. Oh, I mean, in my Monday post, I wrote, I, I wrote it up pretty well in my mind. This, this was a, a reminder that college football uh, still exists. Um, and if you look at some of the other coaching changes and the other team searches, you have Miami being very publicly and sloppily trying to hire somebody while they still have another coach employed, <laughs> you have Brian Kelly going to the SC, uh, going to the SEC via uh, LSU. You've got Lincoln Riley, you know, midnight the midnight train leaving out of Norman, heading to the LA. Um, everything seems so dirty about that to a certain degree. I mean, Riley's showing up at the airport, no one's there to greet him. Brian Kelly's showing up at the airport, no one's really there to greet him. Um, you know, Mario Cristobal is being told. You know, during his introductory press conference, that he wasn't allowed to talk about <laughs> how he got hired. Everything just seems so much like people just got money and it's dirty money, and we're just going to spend it. Like how Miami's doing it. I mean, that's just nasty stuff. I mean, Miami's able to hire Cristobal in, do all the payouts, buyouts, and then potentially upgrade his staff due to just the amount of money the uh, Miami health part of the university's created during this pandemic. Uh, it just seems kind of strange. That's what you said to use the money for. Uh, but Vrindable shows up and it's the students, it's the fans, it's, you know, the pride, the band, the roughnecks. I mean, OU rolled out and it seemed like a very special moment. It, it wasn't like a pro football moment, which, which is what some of the stuff has become to a certain degree of the super leagues and everything and trying to get into the playoffs have become more and more pro pro style football. Um, the scene at the airport, the scene in Norman, um, the public quote unquote coronation of print Venables of all the players coming up the shirt saying we are Oklahoma. Um, that, that stuff is um, it's just a heartwarming reminder that college football can still be found in, in, in our modern day, um, modern day era of, of the NIL and how much money these guys are making and things are kind of moving around uh, so fluidly. So it was pretty cool to see that and pretty cool to see 
Norman be the forefront of that. I'm not, I'm not really not for sure how many people picked up on that, but it, it, it does seem almost like a hearkening to the past to a certain degree. As always, I do want to mention you as we move forward through this, especially now that the coaching search is over and I'm done looking at my phone uh, over the last week. We are, this podcast is brought to you by Anytime Fitness in Oklahoma City, specifically the one on 519 Northwest 23rd Street. You go in there, mention through the keyhole, mention Brady Trantham, mention Matt Burton, my name, Tegan Renault, or Peyton Guthrie. We can get you guys signed up. Uh, it would really, really help us. Now, here comes the interesting part. Uh, I don't think this is fully set in stone, but I want to mention this on this podcast that we're likely going to be moving to a Sunday free episode, uh, Tuesday Patreon, Thursday Patreon, as we head into this offseason, especially as we, you know, the staff comes together. There's little details that take time to get that information in. Um, that go into those podcasts and how quickly, um, you know, things can change and, and we can be on top of it. That gives us the access to do that. So wanted to make that announcement. It's not set in stone yet. We'll uh, Thursday, you know, it'll be a Patreon podcast. And then Sunday, we'll hit you back with a public one. And I'm sure we'll have it all ironed out by then. Make sure to subscribe to Through the Keyhole, leave a five-star review and comment. That'd be great. Guys, I want to start that I come from a military family. I, I come from, you know, military background, believe it or not, uh, considering how unorganized I am in my life. But uh, this today is a special day in our country's history for, you know, the wrong reasons. Pearl Harbor was bombed by the Japanese 80 years, 80 years ago today. 2,400 Americans were killed. 429 of those were on the USS Oklahoma. Um, I just want to say for me, I want to say thank you to all the current military people, their families, uh, veterans and your guys' families, you guys really put yourselves on the front line and people listen to this. Uh, we think about you guys greatly. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it, yeah. I mean, uh, as it was said, I mean, it was a day that we all will live in infamy. I mean, things like that, um, you know, it propel our country into the last just war that we've ever seen, um, to, to bring down the third Reich and, um, avenge the loss against the, the Japanese, uh, empire at that point in time um it, it's it's something that is um you know taught in every single school and will continue to be taught and always remember that those who paid uh you know the sacrifices to uh, uphold freedom not just in the united states but the the idea of freedom across across the world is the united states stepped up at that point in time to be the city on the shining uh the, sh the shining city on the hill i mean it is a in an an all striking moment to remember kind of like if you go through the uh uh just to a different degree there but if you if you go to the the bombing memorial memorial in oklahoma city and you are you can just be set back just by the amount of violence that somebody can take on somebody else um and then to see the ability of a community of a country to um stand up for itself and to bond back together um i think that's something that is uh yeah i mean arguably at the essence of what it means to be an american with that being said, I just want to say thank you again I, from from my family. I know it means a lot. Um, you know, we've two cousins that were military. So anyways, regardless of that, uh, Brent Venables era is underway. A little bit of the sappy stuff out of the way there. I did want to touch on that. Brent Venables already underway. And I kind of broke this into four phases. And I think Peyton, you saw that. Because, like, the way the last 48 hours have gone down, it's gone in kind of four different ways. Um, the first one's the scene at the airport. And – 
I think Oklahoma, in an image sense, needed that. I think this fan base needed that. They needed to come mm-hmm. together to celebrate something. And it was a scene that I didn't envision happening. Um, but like I said, I think for the image of Oklahoma football and what Oklahoma football is all about, um, in terms of the passion, the commitment from the fan base, sold out every game since 1999, even if a donor bought up the last 20,000 tickets, it's maybe some of those games. But regardless of that, the passion, the commitment is there. Uh, and it was really, really cool. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just so cool. Like I said, I mean, it, it's, it's a, it, it beckons to the idea of what we think that is college football. It's the, it was a prep rally, basically. You know, it, it, it screened university. Like, I'm surprised there weren't more people walking around in T-shirts that just said college. I mean, it, it is – that's something that just is the soul and essence of college football, that type of thing. The teams coming home from a big win, you meet them at the airport, I mean, stuff like that, that you just don't see as much now as more and more money is flowing into it, as more and more games are being moved to Thursday nights and Friday nights and Pac-12 playing at midnight. You know, it, it just, it's not – as things are being shifted more and more for a TV audience, certain colleges are, are suffering from a student uh, body experience. Um, OU is, is moving to SEC to fight that. I mean, it's one of the reasons why they're moving to SEC uh, for the uh, 11 a.m. kickoffs. And that's not everything, but the idea that OU will get different time slots and it can be a more enjoyable experience on campus for recruits, for students, for families. Um you know, and, and if anything, I think the Brent Venable stuff shows that OU knows what it's doing. I mean, contrast that, you know, c- contrast Brent Venable's uh, introductory press conference, and, you know, I- I've called this coronation, to what USC did for Lincoln Riley. And it's just awkward. You know, it just didn't make any sense whatsoever. And great programs do those things right. I, that It may sound corny or whatever, but all those things matter because it, it's a symptom of how leadership is aligned from top to bottom. I, th- I think USC obviously showed that it's not fully aligned in my opinion. It's kind of wild and crazy. Maybe Lincoln really just wanted that all. He didn't want to be put in a box. So maybe that's where he wanted to go all along. Just let him go get a whole bunch of good guys and figure it out. Uh, but OU can kind of walk you through some stuff and OU can support you all the way through that. And I think, I think all that stuff kind of proves that to a certain degree. The video. We got to talk about the video out in LA. It and Matt, I'll go to you first on this one. It is, <laughs> it is one of the better. And all this, the remake that was made today. I forgot who made it. Maybe James Gallagher. I believe that's the the, the Twitter account. That's the user that made it. But it really was like an SNL skit. I read it. I saw the description people were giving it, and then it just. It's about as bad as you can think. A couple of things. It's like, one, it's like USC forgot, like, they've been bad for so long that they forgot, like, what's cool. It's like, you know, they were the cool kid in high school, and now they're like, my, I'm 28 now. If I went back to high school, I would have no idea what's cool. That's what it, that's what this USC introductory press conference, I'd be, you know, uh, talking about, uh, you know, Lil Wayne. I'd be like, oh, man, Lil Wayne was awesome. In 2011, <laughs> when I graduated high school, I'd be playing Lil Wayne for the kids, and uh, they, they'd be like, what, what is this, man? This is, this is old. What are we doing here? 
uh that one and do you guys remember the show uh i think it was on mtv it was called boiling point anyway they would no anyways, way they no would way. it was like a hidden camera show right like okay. they would prank a guy like and uh or they prank, oh. prank whoever right and they yes, would yes 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 they would keep pranking them until they like just flipped out and like got pissed yeah. off and left yeah. that's what the band thing it, it felt like they were pranking lincoln riley yeah like until he reached his bullying point like what the hell's going on here like is this band going to stop playing like what what what's the deal so no it was dude it was hilarious man i loved it apparently apparently i was listening to uh ryan on the franchise today apparently that happened the day of like the day of whenever lincoln got yeah the whole band thing and apparently oh, yeah. they like they've like it just came out because they were trying to do everything they could to not like have it go public. Just don't, yeah, just don't release it at that point in time. And yeah. that's why I mean, but I will never, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll never downplay the uh, USC song girls. Um, so good for them. Uh, but it just, it's a bit wild. Yeah. There's just, I mean, Lincoln was trying to get walk onto the stage and then it made it seem like they wanted him to be with the band and he walks on the stage. I mean, it's just uh, really kind of strange and wild, uh, but you can tell, and maybe they didn't know they were fully going to get them either. They were like, oh, crap, we actually got the guy. <laughs> Scramble to figure something out. <laughs> it's it's a classic video. It's it's one of those whenever you think about college football and kind of the craziness and the silly season, especially what it's been, like that that personifies it perfectly. Like some small-town guy out of the panhandle in Texas going to Oklahoma. It's all stable. There's passionate fan base behind it. Then you got the USC, and it's just kind of like, yeah, are you sure? The other thing I wanted to touch on before we moved on from the, you know, the rally they had at the airport, the immediate response, Peyton, to Brent Venables getting hired, I think it's kind of the same. I hate to go this direction. When Pete Kwiatkowski was hired at Texas, you saw a lot of their fan base and former players as well as players were like, what is Washington doing letting that guy walk? And that said nothing but great things about him on his way out. This was the same way with Venables. Nothing but good vibes from former players' way, some of his current players at Clemson. And I think that's when you kind of look at that first sign of if a hire is good, right, you kind of want to see what their former players are saying. When Leak and Riley left, you saw, what, a handful, 10, 12, maybe a dozen guys are tweeting and thanking him and doing this. And the next thing you know, they're on – Instagram just blasting, you know, Isaiah Thomas and Nick Benito are just blasting the post about the whole Mecca of college football thing. We got to know their true side. The Clemson players were poured out love for Brent Venables. And I think that's an important piece of this puzzle as we move into this transition. I mean, I think you can see the the, the Pete, the Pete K stuff more from a different perspective of what happened after. I mean, Jimmy Lake is gone now. I mean, that, that they're having to completely clean house. So that may have been less, of a, oh my God, we got this amazing guy to the, to PK was looking for a way out, you know, to a certain degree and trying to get out of there. Uh, this, this, the Brent Venable stuff seems more like, I mean, I, I was looking at some of the Clemson uh, boards and stuff and they're saying, maybe he's not gone yet. Maybe he's not gone yet. Maybe this is all false flags and, you know, stuff like that. I mean, they were truly wanting to hold on to this guy because um, I was on the Crimson Cream machine on Monday. I mean, you see Dabo, before he got Brent, before that orange bowl where they got completely blown out, then they got Brent, and it's night and day difference. Now, I'm not trying to say Brent Venables ran that program or anything, but there is a key hire, and then everything changed after that, <laughs> and it became a much different program the moment Brent Venables walked into those offices. 
uh, and they start going to national championships and start winning national championships. So um, I don't think PK, you could make that same argument, obviously, because uh, Washington never won a national championship, uh, went to the playoffs once and got completely demolished, much like OU does um, at the time. Um, but there, I think there's a different thing there that seems like he's going to be more ready for the head job um, than potentially what we saw this year uh, down in Austin. Because that that comparison you're you're trying to make, if you look at just at the results, I don't think OU fans would want that comparison to carry on <laughs> for next year if OU plays as well as PK's defense played this year. Uh, if OU plays that well next year, I think we may have a revolt on our hands to a certain degree. So as we move forward into this week, on Monday they have the press uh, conference as well as the rally. But I want to touch on something from the press conference first because I think it adds to the coolness of the story, how great it is, you know, storybook it really is. We knew Brent was going to get the first call, no matter what, whether if it was a courtesy, uh, whenever Lincoln left, we talked about that that Sunday, Brent's going to get the first call and it's going to be either offering him the job or it's going to be a courtesy call in terms of leaking out, well, we were going to hire Brent Venables at Oklahoma, which would have probably opened the door paid for him getting a head job no matter where he's at. Um, I think it's a great story. The fact that Joe called him and stayed true to his word um, and you want to talk about, a, you know, the word loyalty has been thrown around a lot over the last 24 hours. I don't know if it can get any more, more loyal than that. Yeah, I mean, it, it is it, – it's hard to write this stuff. I mean, it's – the thing is, OU's had – I mean, how it ended is kind of rough, but OU had two story storybook things kind of happen back to back. I mean, look at – you know, Bob retires. Lincoln Riley steps right up. He continues going that way. Just a young kid from, you know, West Texas, the humble kid. You know, that was a story as well. I mean, that was – things you write about it's like oh man this friday night lights west texas kid who wanted to play quarterback but got hurt and he couldn't do it and now he's coaching and now he's heading up one of the elite programs in the nation and that was also a story you know that was also a huge giant chapter one of a fantasy tale it didn't end the way we wanted it to this one is similar tropes to that similar archetypes i mean it's the prodigal son returns it's uh um, I can't remember all of it. You know, it's like Joseph in the tech multicolored jacket type thing. I mean, the son returns, he's learned his lessons and he's going to take potentially take OU to the next level um, by introducing some different sort different sort of football concepts, making them a bit of a tougher football team, uh, especially stuff I've had, you know, ear to the ground a little bit. I mean, it does seem like he has a very clear idea of how he wants his football team to be ran from a defensive side of things. You know, it, I was very pleased to hear him say he wants to hire a defensive coordinator uh, and also the offensive side of things. I mean, the things I'm hearing is it's more like he's wanting it to be more like 2008 um, style offense and than, than anything else. So, I mean, that will be kind of interesting for OU fans to see some of that stuff and see some of these old names kind of pop back up. Um, what does it mean, though, if it's just bringing everyone back together? Can, you know, can the band re- reunite to a certain degree and uh, play one out again? I mean, that's still to be seen. The only other comment that really struck me was when he brought up the comment from his daughter about taking the Auburn job. Um, you yeah, know, why yeah. he didn't take that. And, and, you know, you, you know, you don't, what, well, I forgot what the final comment he said that, you know, she said to him, but basically, you know, your dream was always to be at the top, you know, and this is how you get there. And I think that that's confirming some things that we knew. 
ahead of time, right? That Brent never wanted to go. He said yesterday that Oklahoma, like someone asked him if it, you know, take the Oklahoma out of the conversation. Like, is this a job you would have taken? And he said, you can't take OU out of the conversation. And like, I, I think again, you, you, those are pulling at the right strings of this fan base. Like he, yeah. they want to hear this coach talk about wanting to be here. Loyalty. I loved this place. I never wanted to go in the first place. And I think they accomplished a lot of that um, in the first, you know, 24 hours with him being the head coach at Oklahoma. And that's good. Were there any other, co- I've got, I know I've, what I've got listed, we're going to dive into here in a second. And mm-hmm. it's very, very important. Is there anything else that I missed that were kind of stuck out to you comments that he made or, you know, opinions or the way that you interpreted some stuff? I mean, there are a few things we'll, we'll have to see how it all kind of shakes out to, at, at the end of the day. I mean, hearing him talk about wanting to get a, uh, a defensive court, like I said, that really kind of opened my eyes to who he's going to be. It seems you can tell him learning under Bob and learning under Dabo. He understands that's that's the best way of doing it. I mean, the head coach shouldn't also be the coordinator. I don't think that's a, a long-term fit. I mean, there's only so much time you have to delegate to certain things. As head coach, you need to be splitting that as evenly as you can. So getting your your lieutenants in, in, in order and get them in, the, in inside the buildings to help out. Um, you know, that that really shows to me a level of maturity moving forward. Um, and again, you you just saw all these all these college football programs just hand the keys over to any offensive coordinator uh, that seemed to be good, period, instead of wanting them to have these old school head football coaches. And Brent Venables does seem to be kind of aligning himself as an old school college football coach, uh, you know, like a Nick Saban type of thing. So we'll have to see how that plays out. Uh, the Auburn stuff. Um, I've reached out to John John Goodman Jr. I think he jo- writes yeah, Alabama. Joseph Joseph Goodman. He's the uh, he's Goodman, a col- yeah. he's a co- one of the lead columnists for Alabama.com. Yeah, um, I, I've got him lined up. He's agreed to get a podcast with the uh, this coming Monday, so we'll record it and then re- release it when it f- seems fit. But uh, he wrote an article about uh, about Brent's comments, and he basically called him afraid to take the Auburn job because uh, the alignment story is just, uh, you know, a fairy tale. And he's actually afraid to take the job because he has to play Alabama, which doesn't seem to make sense because OU is going to be playing Alabama pretty soon. Uh, I, I think the alignment thing that Brent didn't want to say was I saw boosters fire a coach without the administration and then try to hire the defense coordinator without the administration. <laughs> I think that's probably the alignment stuff he's talking about. <laughs> and not just like my daughter was afraid about getting to the mountaintop. I mean, He's trying to make it seem nicer than what it actually was, was I don't want to go there because their booster network's insane. Uh, <laughs> you know, and that's just kind of hard to say. It's kind of the dirty underbelly of college football to a certain degree. These big money guys sometimes have more say than what your AD says or something like that at certain programs. Uh, so I, I think that's something that will be interesting to kind of dive into uh, from their perspective. Um, because yeah, OU is walking into a much, much different conference. I mean, the big 12 is a bunch of bloodthirsty, uh, demons, uh, to a certain degree, but the sec is, is a, is a different beast altogether, just of the amount of funds that kind of fly around there. So that that's, I think those are some very, very interesting, co- uh, comments he made and some opinions that were made about his comments, um, are already kind of reverberating throughout, you know, the nation, which is for OU's perspective. Um, even though they just made a pretty solid football hire, it's it's good that you've got people in Alabama, people in Florida, people you know all over the place talking about this and, and seeing where it's going to come from. So 
you know, I, I'm generally pleased uh, for that reception internally and, and the uh, reception externally. Before we dive into this, Peyton, Matt, I want to ask you a question. How many offers do you think Clemson has made in the 2022 class? Because I know Peyton's probably already looked this up. I think I saw it. Wasn't it like 20-something? Or was no, it 30, more, 30 more, something? Okay. more than more than. Or that. no, it maybe commits. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, that was, maybe four, that was commits. They had 14 commitments. They made 75 offers, and that's it, in the 2022 recruiting class. This is going to be – an interesting experience compared to what we're used to, I think, yeah. moving up. And I just want to read this quote first, and I think it's extremely important, um, you know, off the, off the bat here, that he gets on a good start on the recruiting trail. But this is what Venable said yesterday. We're going to value our scholarship offer. It's important to me, first of all, to understand what those values are, what the fit is, find people first. Yeah, they got to be talented. That goes without saying. They got to be a great player. But we're going to look for people first because I think that's what's uh, sustainable. We want to keep that to a minimum because I think continuity can be a very good thing. Peyton, he also mentioned not going to these mega recruiting camps. Um, that is a very – I, I want to say the way he said that did leave him some leeway to go to satellite camps, which are different from these mega camps. Satellite camps are where they could go SMU host it, and it's Oklahoma, SMU, and one other school. And there's a lot more hands-on time, a lot more time to evaluate guys, to get guys reps. Um, those are different than the mega camps, going out to California with 35 other colleges there, trying to evaluate 500 guys, and those guys get minimum reps. That makes sense. That makes complete sense. And I think he left him a little bit of leeway there himself to go, oh, we're not going to a mega camp. We're just going to a camp with someone else. Um, and my final thing before I throw it to you, Peyton, um, the value in the offer, I, I said this on air yesterday. I'm with you. I love it. I think that's old school mentality. I think that's what we need in college, more of it in college football. Um, as people saw some comments from me today on Twitter.com, uh, I think we need some of, more of that in college football. I just don't know if that's where we're at in college football. Oh, I think there's something to be said about, about raising the standard of, of OU. And and some of the ways of doing that is abandoning some of these mega camps um, and, and, and just offering less. I mean, to put that in perspective, like you said, I mean, 75 offers have been given out so far. I think in 2019, maybe in 2018, uh, Tennessee sent out 400 offers. Correct. So um, some, some schools offer, if they'd like a guy, they offer them. Because you have no idea. Hey, it could work out, might not work out. Clemson, on the other hand, and this is how they're able to overcome their their low BCR. I mean, they have the exact same blue chip ratio as, as OU does at this point in time. Probably not this next class, obviously, in the mid-60s. Um, they were able to overcome that because they picked exactly what they needed. And I've kind of talked about that, too. I mean, under Dabo and under Brent, they, you know, they have a list. We need these 10 guys. There is no other option. There is no, we're going to take three more wide receivers because we can. It's going to be, we need these guys to build a football team. Uh, if Brent is surgical in that way and it works out for OU, that's going to be something that's going to be a little harder to kind of put your hand head around the idea from um, a body composition type of style there for, um, for Brent Venables to start building these teams. If he's truly building these guys out and knows what he's doing, like look at the first offer he made today. It's a, a three-star defensive tackle who's 6'4", 290. <laughs> I mean, he would have been 
I believe the largest defensive tackle <laughs> uh, OU uh, would have uh, put on the field this year. Uh, when, when, uh, number eight may have been a bit bigger than that, but anyway, it's been very close. And you can tell he's going to be a little more surgical about what it is that we're doing and why we're doing it. And we're not going to fill up on empty carbs. You know, it's, it's kind of like the Mac Brown stuff in the, his, his later years. He would just, it, it seemed like he would just go down, give everyone an offer. They accept it and he'd be done. He'd only offer the guys he knew he could get. Oh, he's going to fight for the guys who are at the top and fight for the guys that fit his scheme. Um, because I think players like Winfrey, number eight, I don't think he would have gotten an offer from Venerables coming out of the Juco, stuff like that. I mean, I don't think we're going to see guys who play one snap out of five snaps. You know, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, under Brent. So it'll be a different level of intensity for sure. So on the real quick, I, I kind of wanted to, I go, kinda, I'm go. sorry. I kind of wanted to jump in on the, the recruiting thing. I know completely different sport, different thing, but, and this wouldn't be a podcast if I didn't drop Duke basketball. Um, but uh, Duke basketball does the same thing. They, if you look at their offers each year, they offer like six, seven kids. They'll offer the top two or three and then mm-hmm. like a couple guys that they think could be really good, like four star guys and, and lower. But and I don't know if it, it can work because I mean, Duke and it's different because you can play one year and then go to the NBA. Like it's yeah. to- totally different. I know that, but that they've always taken that, that approach too. like you value this offer. Like if not, not everyone gets an offer from Duke, like, like uh, Kentucky, John Calipari, his deal is he offers basically the top 25 and is like, whoever accepts it is coming. Whoever doesn't, you're not like, if do you want to, do you want to join Kentucky or no? Like, so it's, it's going to be interesting to see because like Alabama, they could do that right now. Like they have, yeah. they have everything rolling. They could be like, Hey, you, you, and you, we're going to offer you if you want to come then, then sure. This is Alabama. We're talking about Nick Saban could just say that. Um, so we'll see how that works with, with Oklahoma. I, we know that OU's a blue blood. They'll never really hurt that much in recruiting. Hell yeah. Um, I just, yeah, I just, I, I'm interested to see how, how that works out because like we said, Alabama, they win it basically every other year. That's all these kids know is Alabama winning it. Uh, Clemson's won a couple like Clemson can do that. They've won one in recent history. I mean, OU's been there. Mm-hmm. They haven't. They haven't won one. So it's like I, I'm. I'm just more interested to see uh, that recruiting approach and how that'll work out. Yeah, you can see. I mean, there are two ways of building a football team in college football that seem to work. There's like the Matt Campbell way, a Baylor way, to a certain degree. They're getting guys. They're going to grow up. We're going to cultivate them, develop them, and by year four, they're going to be dudes who are ready for the NFL. And we're going to rock and roll and go. Or you have the Alabama way, the Ohio State way. Georgia way to a certain degree every single year we're sounding five five stars and 24 stars and we've got a new freshman walking in this room every single time Clemson was kind of in the middle there Clemson was we're going to get some high-end talent because they're again their BCR wasn't like 90 percent or anything it was mid-60s for the most part they'd go get their guys and get them and say you're very talented you guys are very talented you could start anywhere in the country but we want you to be here for the full years. We're going to develop you. We're going to go there. I can't remember what year it was that Clemson had like three first rounders on their offensive line that could have all left their junior year and they all came back. I mean, if OU is able to cultivate that way, bring in the number eight recruiting class, 
nationally, which weirdly enough would be like the number seventh in the, in the SEC, <laughs> and gets you know gets two five stars, uh, thirteen four stars, and the rest three stars, and you get them all to stay, you get them all to grow and build a football team. That's how you. That's how Clemson figured it out. They got the really good guys who fit their team and the culture, and they grew with inside that team and culture. It wasn't just talent in, talent out. Um, I think that's what Riley was trying to do, though. I think Riley was trying to go talent in, talent out. Uh, and you could tell the teams, if they didn't gel, you were kind of screwed. <laughs> so it'll be an interesting outcome. And again, like you said, Alabama could do it because they've won a whole bunch. Clemson's won a whole bunch. You can point and choose. OU's in the conversation, but they haven't won. They haven't been on the mountaintop the same way those other teams have. Through the Keyhole is brought to you by Uptown Anytime Fitness. That is Anytime Fitness on 23rd and Walker. The best gym in Oklahoma City, if you ask me. And I know that for a fact because I've been using it for just about two years and I couldn't love it anymore. Perfect size, perfect amount of equipment. And we're even getting $40,000 upgraded equipment over the next few months, so we're excited for that. But it's not too big, it's not too small, it's not intimidating. So for first-time gym users or, you know, if you're out there getting closer and closer to the new year and you're thinking about New Year's resolutions, new fitness goals, yeah, this gym is not intimidating. There's never a, a ton of people inside at any point during the day, so you never have to wait for your equipment. It's just the best place, in my opinion, to be if you're just trying to improve yourself in one way or another. And the new owner, Garrett, is awesome, very personable, very helpful, and wants to help you guys out as much as possible. So for the month of October, they're doing a dollar membership sign-up fee. Again, it's a dollar membership sign-up fee for the month of October. Just let them know that you heard about this deal from Through the Keyhole or just from me. Maybe you'll run into me and you can make fun of me. But again, there are about a 1,000 Anytime Fitnesses across the map. So if you don't necessarily live around Uptown OKC, you can just come up here, sign up with this gym with Garrett, and then you're able to use any of Anytime Fitness's facilities. There are a ton in the metro. There's a few in Edmond. There's a few in Tulsa. I was just in Dallas a few weeks ago and used an Anytime Fitness in Seagaville, Anytime Fitness in Kaufman. So even if you travel consistently, Anytime Fitness will still be there to help you achieve your fitness goals. And hey, if you are perfectly fine with how you feel, how you look, all those things, that's fine. But just help us out here at Through the Keyhole and go ahead and like Uptown Anytime Fitness on Facebook and Instagram. Give them a follow. We will greatly appreciate that. So I wanted to note this because I think it's important as we head in this kind of new era of college football with the portal, earlier access to seeing these players. Uh, Clemson has made 40 offers in the 2023 class already. And I know one of their principles, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Peyton, one of their principles maybe before kind of where we're at was they were they were going to only offer guys when they start their senior year. So when they when Clemson could officially offer guys, um, I believe that was when, and that's changed over time. But I wanted to say this, they did make over 100 offers in from like 2016, 17, 18, 19, and 20. Um, and then 21 and 22, they did make less offers than they have in the past. So I don't know if there's anything to it. Now they're offering kids ahead of time, uh, whatever it may be. Uh, my biggest worry is that along the lines of what you just said, Peyton, they're not there yet. Like if Oklahoma's, you know, Brent Venable's heading into a situation where it's kind of like Lincoln Riley, where all the staff is intact every, you know, every avenue uh, for him to have success was already laid out ahead of him. I would, I would be, if he would have done that, great. Um, I think because you're winning, you have a winning mentality. Now Brent Venables has to go win to sell, 
right? Because he's not been a head coach. He's been negatively recruited right now. He's never been a head coach before, blah, 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 blah. Uh, the biggest cure to recruiting, and as we've learned at Oklahoma, especially during the Riley era, and I'm including his two years as offensive coordinator, when you have results, it's a lot easier to recruit. And I think that would be my biggest worry about this kind of approach that they're heading into is that the 2023 class is going to be so, so important, so important for them in the future. And now it's like you got to go all in. And so early on, um, this is just some early comments on this. This is not, you know, I'm sure we'll adjust our thinking as we learn more. Um, about what Brent Venables is going to be like on the recruiting trail. My thinking, um, I'm sure Peyton will as well. Um, we'll discuss it. We'll analyze it as the time goes on. So with that being said, it's been an interesting last, what, 48 hours, especially for recruiting Peyton. I was going to go through this rundown here. Um, they've lost five commitments in the 2022 class so far. Relique Brown, Demetrius Hunter, Derek Moore, Gabe Dendy, and Kobe McKenzie. Um, that those of those five, Relique Brown, a Lincoln Riley, Lincoln Riley guy, Demetrius Hunter, Beanbow guy. So that's a little surprising. Derek Moore with Kane, Gabe Dendy with Tibbs, and Kobe McKenzie with Odom. Um, we'll get into coaching staff stuff here in a second, but uh, four of those five guys are now you know decommitted, and coaches aren't likely going to be retained. They have 12 commitments from the 2022 class that remain, headlined by Gavin Sawchuk, Jake Taylor, um, and Gentry Williams. Jason Llewellyn, the tight end from Alito, Jacob Sexton from Edmond, Deer Creek, the offensive lineman, and Caden Helms have already reaffirmed their commitments on social media. Uh, I don't. I believe Robert Spears Jennings has sent out some positive vibes. If you trust what Dean Blevins tweeted out a second ago, uh, Gentry Williams is definitely going to be intact as well. Um, no, I'm kidding. Gentry Williams hasn't said anything quite yet, but um, Dean Blevins did. Uh, he just uh, quote tweeted. I hate. To, I'm not. I'm not one to call people out like this all the time, but. He quote tweeted the I'm staying home commitment tweet of Gentry Williams and was like, good, Gentry Williams is locked in. And that tweet was from like, what, October, September? Yeah. So um, anyways, I'm kidding there. Uh, they've lost tw- they've lost uh, three of their 2023 commitments in Malachi Nelson, Brandon Ennis, and Mikhail Lemon. DeAndre Moore, Joshua Bates remain committed. Uh, to what Peyton just said a second ago, the first offer went out to three-star defensive tackle Ahmad Moten. He's listed at 6'4", 290. He looks very cl- close to what the measurables and that they have for him. He's from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Um, I'm gonna get you're gonna get used to me saying this quite a bit. He has an offer from Iowa State. He's visiting Iowa State this weekend. That's good enough for me. Um, yep. He also has an offer court. from. Uh, he also has an offer from Northwestern Oklahoma State. Um, so. He, does he, really? has, he, he does. It's on his uh, 24-7 profile. So he's already got an Oklahoma school after him. Hopefully OU can pull him. Venables <laughs> <laughs> has had an in-home with Jacob Sexton, Drew Williams, Robert Spear Jennings, and Caden Helms so far. I don't think I've missed anybody there. Okay, we're, we got that all done with. Dindy's obviously the biggest loss. Um, yeah, Dindy sucks. And that's a two-year recruitment that Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma had to go through to land. Obviously, that's a big deal. And I think a lot of the belief was either Jamar Kane or, you know, Calvin Thibodeau were going to be remaining on the staff. Um, one of those two doesn't sound like either of those guys are going to be retained, which is we'll get into that in a second. That's positive news for Oklahoma, actually, um, for the future. But there's been a lot of frustration, Peyton, um, before we dive into the year zero talk. There was a lot of frustration, I think, on social media. And, you know, I'm seeing it from, I believe, 
Teddy Lehman talked about it on his radio show today. Um, you know, Oklahoma's process with this has been a little bit longer than I think. And I, I talked about this in my, in my Patreon post what, last Thursday, that there was a lot of people frustrated, or Friday post, um, there's a lot of people frustrated that it took so long to hire Brent because it was the mind, it seemed like their mind was already made up early on that was going to be, and they felt like it could have stymied some of this recruiting, you know, momentum that you've seen and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But um, regardless of that, golly, people are blowing up my phone. It won't stop. I don't know if y'all can hear that or not. Um, but regardless of that, the, high, the staff is going to be put together. Um, the offensive staff is still in Norman. Um, I, I think they're going to be okay. Now, the 2022 mm-hmm. class obviously was going to do what it did, and it should surprise nobody. Um, but I, like I said, before we get into these year zero talk, do you think that there's any tru- like, truth to the, how long this process is taking and that hurting Oklahoma in recruiting? Uh, no, I, I, I don't think so. Um, the, the process was going to take as long as the process was going to take. Uh, I don't think hiring whenever you hired Brent was going to change much, to be honest with you. Lincoln Riley sold himself as the true arbiter of OU football. <laughs> and if he left, the guys who are attached to him were leaving, period. I mean, bringing in Brent Venables wasn't going to keep all the five-star offensive players. <laughs> that's, I mean, that is that your brain isn't thinking correctly if you think that's what was going to happen. Um, bringing Brent Venables in and him getting rid of the entire defensive staff, basically, wasn't going to keep some of these guys around. I mean, this he even said it in his um, his press conference. Recruiting is a relationship business. If you got rid of everyone that has a relationship with some of these high-level recruits, you're going to miss out on them. That's the gig. I, I don't think – I think the only thing we would have seen is that those decommits would have been happening today instead of three days ago. I think that's the only thing that would have changed there, to be honest with you. And the people – who are like, you know, hosting Twitter spaces and stuff and like freaking out about, oh, we should have done this. We should have done that. He needs to hire an OC. You can tell they've never been um, drastically injured before. If you break a bone or something like that, you have to set that. You have to let it heal. Sometimes you have to re-break and you have to sit there and let that heal. OU, that's what OU is doing right now. They had a bad break that healed wrong. They're having to break it and set it again and allow time for it to grow, allow time for it to come back together straight in the way it's supposed to be. You just have to deal with it, man. You just have to deal with it. And, um, you know, you, you had an uh, interaction with this guy on Twitter today, but uh, uh, Stephen Godfrey uh, of Split Zone Duo, he'll talk, he's talked about this. These first transition classes for coaches, that you shouldn't care. You should not care about them, to be honest with you. Keep the guys who stay and then pocket the scholarships because only thing you'll be doing is scrambling and filling up full of empty scholarships, honestly. And those guys are going to have such a high bust rate and you're just going to be wasting scholarships when you could just hold on to that stuff and potentially portal dudes in who could be better down the line. Um, to me, if, if Brent sends out 50, <laughs> 50 offers uh, before February, I, I, I'm not going to like that. I mean, you just take this on the chin you say, hey, we're going to have like an 18-person class, pocket those seven, hopefully get some guys in the portal, and then just go all in on 23 and 24. So let's dive into a little bit today. So I got to do a, a long thread um, talking about kind of year zero and, you know, expectations and, you know, what, you know, where should we kind of the realistic expectations for every first-year head coach should be. 
I want to say this. People are going to hear me talk about this. That's all this Twitter thread today. They're going to you know, disagree with me and do this, do that. I just want to be genuine. I'm always real about it. Like I, I hope people realize that like things that I put out on social media, like I, I don't interact differently on this podcast or with Peyton or with anybody talking about sports. That's different than what I say out on social media, tweet out, like whatever it may be. I want to get that out first. So with that being said, and I know what you're freaking out about, we're going to talk about that in a second. Um, I, what I meant by year zero goes back to me growing up. Now my dad wasn't a college coach by any means, but he coached high school. Uh, he coached, you know, coached me growing up and he's very old school minded. I think this put it perfectly. And Matt, I think this puts it perfectly. He hates that baseball is going away from the NL league rules. Like this is, we're talking as old school as it gets. And so I, I have always been of the belief that coaches always have this first year to reset things. Now there's certain circumstances out there, Lincoln Riley, you know, picking up where Bob Stoops left off, Ryan day, picking up where urban Meyer left off, where all the pillars of their programs are intact. Uh, here's the other one that not a lot of people talk about Peyton. Uh, Jimmy Lake was handed everything at Washington and just absolutely burned it to the ground. And I think that that's another that's just that's an area where we can sit here and look at that and go, okay, that makes a lot of sense why they, they're getting rid of the guy. Um, but like I said, before I finish off here and kind of throw to you and tell me, tell me how ignorant I was today and how stupid I am, even though I don't use that. I'm not supposed to use the I word on social media anymore, but <laughs> I, uh, again, I, I it came from a place of every coach, I think in their first year, they're going to have to deal with players that have been taught habits that they're not trying to teach. They're trying to break them out of those old habits. They're trying to develop them into players. And you just can't do that in the first year. You just, no matter where you are, and then obviously expectations are expectations. You know, everybody's are different. Um, you know, I'm of the belief that every coach starts at X and they have to get to Y. Um, and the amount of time is obviously that gray area that we're talking about here and how that's, you know, thought out and done this and done that. And I want to be clear before I throw it back to you. Um, I'm aware donors' expectations and athletic directors' and administration's expectations are the only things that matter. Um, but this was coming from a place of my own kind of feelings and opinions. So, Peyton, rip me for everyone. Talk about year zero, year one, um, what it's going to be like at Oklahoma and kind of early expectations in terms of that mentality. Yeah, I mean, the year zero thing, which is a Godfrey term, uh, Stephen Godfrey term that he's kind of adopted the last few years in, in the grander scheme of college football, those are things for, for colleges like Kansas or Georgia Tech recently, they hired a guy and they said, we're no longer doing the, the triple option. Um, I, I think Matt Rule would have would have had a true year zero. It's like these schools are dead in the water. You understand this is a five, 10 year build to get them back to respectability. Um, certain schools will never do that. Certain schools will, should never accept that. OU is a school. The University of Oklahoma football program is a program that should never accept a year zero from a head coach. I mean, look at uh, Bob Suits' first year. So John, uh, John Blake had gone three and eight. Of course, an ad would pop up at the moment. I'm trying to do this. Three and eight, four and eight, five and six. The very next year, Bob Suits goes seven and five. And then we know what happens in, in 2000. Um, to me, seven and five is like the bottom barrel record that uh, Venerables needs to have, or I'm going to have some issues there. Um, 
you know, start going four and eight, I believe is where you went or five and seven, something like that. To me, that's an issue. University of Texas was the 11th talented team in the nation. If you tell me you can't coach those guys to six and six, seven and five, eight and four, uh, that's an issue. So if, if OU walks in next year and they can't get seven and five out of this, out of this team, um, that that's going to be rough. That's going to be rough. Uh, you know, I wrote on Monday at the very bottom, I, I, I told some people, Hey, I added a little bit of medicine at the end of that of kind of mainly a raw, raw bit was how long does this honeymoon last? You know, is he going to be that guy? How long will it take OU to, to turn on him? Cause OU has potentially if, if, if need be, um, because it does seem like OU has propped him up almost to a Scott Frost level to where it's like, oh man, we're kind of stuck with him. We have to work, we have to let him work this through. Uh, OU football is not and should never be stuck to a head coach. So if Brett Venables after year three is winning 65% of his games, 70% of his games, um, it may have been, hey, we gave you a shot, it didn't work out. We have to go for the next coach now. I mean, t- to me, that that's where it needs to be at. But when it comes to the year zero stuff, I mean. A year zero at OU would be like they win three games. Uh, and, and I do not think OU has the appetite or the stomach for, for that type of season, regardless of what happens. Now, if you were to tell me Caleb Williams and Marvin Mims and everyone else leaves, I, I still see six and six. I mean, to be honest with you, I think they can figure it out. There's enough teams on that schedule where you can get there. Um, but like a three, a, a three and nine type season, that, that just won't be accepted at OU. No, it won't. And I want to be clear again, like I said, like I think like every school, every program has different expectations, like in terms of the resources they have, the talent that they can acquire, you know, the the players that they can go recruit to. Like every school has different, you know, is in a different circumstance, a different environments. And I've always, guess again, just been of the mindset of, you know, someone brought this up to me, Peyton, like in the DM is like, you know, the expectations in Central Michigan you know, in Texas are different. And I was like, kind of like, exactly. Right. Like you can, you know, when you take a program over like central Michigan, if they've won, you know, three, four five games, you know, your expectations by the time that you're done there is to be a perennial bowl, you know, contender at Kansas by 2025. Like you want to see Lance Leopold, you know, going five and seven, you know, maybe four, you know, four and eight, five and seven, like getting cracking close to making a bowl game. Um, Oklahoma, right. Caleb Williams stays. I'm probably going to pick them to win the Big 12. Like those are those are the expectations, and I think that whenever you kind of again look at year zero, like if they go ten and two and there's progress shown, um, and ten wins next year probably can get you into the Big 12 title game. If you can do that, like that, those are your expectations. Um, and so it's just meeting those. And like I want to give credit to Brady. We went on a long ass thread and went after each other for like 30 minutes straight last, you know, last year, or even in, in February, I think over Kansas state and kind of what Kansas state's expectations are. And, you know, being in the top three in the big 12 every single year and, you know, being a perennial contender to make the big 12 title game. Like I, I just don't know if that's feasible expectations for a program like Kansas state, you know, they, they need some older guys every, you know, third, fourth year to be able to kind of come together. You spend a long time, they've developed in the program. Then you go and you can win with the big guys. Um, like I said, expectations are different. This is going to be a conversation that we're going to have, I guarantee you, ongoing over the next seven to eight months. And I'm sure I'll dive deeper and we'll dive deeper into things. I'll tell you this. I won't be saying the year, year zero anymore on social media. That's uh, <laughs> yeah. that's for that's for damn that's for uh, that's for damn sure. 
Just mute the term. <laughs> oh, oh, goodness. So, anyways, regardless of that, now that we're past that, new staff notes. Um, let's get off the bat. Let's rub off the Band-Aid here. Oklahoma's bringing back Jerry Schmidt and uh, Kendall – or not Kendall. What's his uh, – Dennison. What's the first name? No clue. <laughs> give me just give me just a second. Um, it's coming out. I was cannot believe that I'm doing this while we're on air. Um, Kendall Daniels, Russell, Russell Dennison. No, I'm going to touch on him in a little bit. Uh, Russell Dennison worked at Oklahoma under Gary Schmidt during their time, and he's at AM as well. Um, per reports, and I want to say Soonerscoop.com reported this before it hit the sooner, hit the uh, interwebs. And credit Eddie Yurdasevich on that news. By the way, Eddie becoming some big J breaking news guy has been one of the rapid, crazier developments over the last year. But uh, they're coming back. And it's officially time to say it. They're, they're running it back. The band back. They're bringing the boys back. I don't know if it's a good idea, but they're doing it. I mean, bringing Smitty back is the move to be honest with you. I mean, once he, once he got rid of Wiley, that's the first thing I thought of. I was like, would he just go and get the guy back who built, who helped him build, build all those great defenses that we're used to seeing. And uh, he did. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. Uh, I'll, I'll take a quote from a biggie, uh, Iowa, a former Iowa uh, wrestler. Who's now the WWE champion. Uh, I just want to see some big beefy men slapping meat. <laughs> that's what I want to see. <laughs> and I think Smitty's going to get OU big and bad again. Uh, that type of hire, we've, we've been talking about it. We've been talking, Brent's going to bring some toughness back to his team. He's going to bring size back to his team. He's running a 4-3, so this dude's going to be a little bit bigger uh, to kind of hit those edges uh, and take care of the run game, turn those stuff back inside. We've been talking about it. We hadn't seen anything that were to prove it, but we're, we're just kind of saying, hey, this is who he is. Now he's making hires. And honestly, I, I was wrong. I was on the, like I said, I was on a podcast on Monday where I said, I thought the OC would be the first hire, not strength and conditioning, but I said strength and conditioning would be the most important hire. Uh, it does seem Brent is uh, thinking that the exact same way that your strength and conditioning is the most important thing of your football program. Uh, that has to be settled or you're not going to win a lot of football games. You can have a lot of super talented dudes, but if they just get pushed around and beat up. It really doesn't matter. Um, no, it, it's cool to see it. Uh, but it does kind of seem like he's just getting the band back together. Uh, you know, you've got Bob Soups there. He's going to be in a mentor type role. You've got Smitty there. I mean, are we going to, are they going to go get someone? Are they going to go get Malcolm Kelly? I mean, are they going to go get everybody and say, everyone, we're, just come home. We're, let's, we got, you know, let's, let, let's ride. <laughs> so I want to say this first. I blasted Lincoln Riley running it back staff that he's putting together at USC. Uh, I think obviously there are some real flaws. I was basically, I talked to a defense of guy who used to coach in college defensively Peyton. Uh, and I'll tell you, and I'll tell you after who it was, but I sent him some stuff during the season, the same videos I've sent you um, about how their corners were playing man coverage and press coverage at the line of scrimmage. And he basically said, those are the right calls. That's just awful technique and awful fundamentals. And you see Lincoln Riley hiring Roy Manning as the coach at USC. They're hiring, you know, Grinch is running. They're running it back with Grinch. They're running it back with Vinny Wiley. Like, I gave them a lot of crap for that. I'm not going to measure that with what happened with, you know, what's happening in Oklahoma right now. 
um, because there is some new blood, right, that Brent Venables hasn't coached with. DeMarco Murray, uh, Joe John Finley, Bill Biedenboe, Kale Gundy. You know, those are four names. He worked with Kale. Kale's been around for like 50 years. But he's worked with those four names. He hasn't worked with those guys before, so it's a little bit different. But bringing Jerry Schmidt back is very intriguing. And also, it's funny, Peyton, Kind of like what Bob said, right? Like someone asked him about the office. Like, do you still have the keys to your office? And he was like, I built that office. Jerry Schmidt <laughs> built Jerry Schmidt built this facility. It is he knows and he was the architect behind everything that was put into Oklahoma strength and conditioning um, whenever their new facility was being built. So he's coming to a situation that he's very he's gonna be very comfortable. I mean, he's gonna step in and know exactly from day one everything that he has equipped to him everything that he can take advantage of as a strength and conditioning coach, there's there's a lot to like there from a fit perspective. Take out Brent Venables, take out, you know, a guy that he's familiar with. Like there's a lot of things to like about the familiarity he's going to have with the strength and conditioning program. Yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to – this thought just kind of came into my head. I mean, if you look at what Riley did about two years after Bob's fully gone, he's moved some people on – stuff started crumbling on his structure stuff, stuff started kind of getting loose on the edges and stuff like that. And it, it kind of lets you take for granted. And we kind of took for granted who Bob Stoops was, you know, he built that office, he built that place out there uh, and also kind of let you, cause OU was just ready for a change. We're so the fans were just ready for a change. We're so tired of almost getting there and getting in losing. And Riley adopted that mindset this year of we're just close. We're so close. We're close. I mean, you know, that's that's not an attitude OU fans want to see. Uh, and maybe it's the same thing with Brent. We we took it for granted who Brent Venables was the top, by the time he left and um and went to went to Clemson and we got stuck with Mike Stoops uh, only. It, it seems like maybe we have a chance now to rectify some of those uh, past discretions. I mean, you get to come back and say, "Hey, I'm sorry, I I, I abandoned you that way." <laughs> you know, we get to be. We get to be uh, the ex who maybe getting back and is like, hey, I, I'm sorry. Or a long lost friend that you haven't talked to in a while. It's like, I'm sorry. Uh, I didn't realize all the things you did for me. Uh, so um, hopefully that's where it all comes through. And it's not just Brent not having anyone else to call. Um, but the, the thought that just popped in my head is that I think the team we need to look at for a, comp- for a composition, I mean, are those Clemson teams, but also look at A&M. It does kind of look like Brent wants to bring back some big, dumb football and beat people up on the field and crush them. I mean, it doesn't seem like he wants to do 70 passes a game or anything like that. It seems like he's going to want to, you know, levy to be more 65, 35 split run pass. I mean, it does seem like it's going to be uh, just some big dudes out there being big dudes. Uh, And that will be interesting to see how that works out with, you know, our modern day society. Uh, modern day football because even Alabama is kind of throwing it all over the yard. So it'll be weird if the COU try to zig after everyone zagged. So it's not confirmed by I don't think anybody. There's no nothing been said, but I've said this from the get go. I expected Demarco Murray, Kale Gundy, Joe John Finley to be retained. Bill Beatenbow was always going to get a chance to be retained. Um, he had. I'm talking. I think he was – if I've heard correctly, Peyton, he got offered almost a million dollars to go coach at Texas Tech to be the, just the offensive line coach. Bill Biedenbeck. Oh, man. 
that that's wild. They're that throwing is, around dumb money yeah. in Lubbock. You see some of the guys that they brought. They hired Emmett Jones away. I know he was at Kansas, but yeah. Emmett Jones is like one of the most known Texas former Texas receivers coaches. Um, a guy that's from that area. They are throwing some dumb money at people in Lubbock, which is smart because I'm not fully bought and sold on McGuire's actual coaching ability. Um, to be honest with you, I think he's he does seem like he's going to try to do a Coach O move, and I was calling him Coach O 2.0 <laughs> uh, down there. Um, but he does seem like what he's going to do is get the best OC he can, the best defensive coordinator he can, the best everyone else, and say, you guys handle that. I'm going to rally the troops. I'm going to get these recruits in, and we're going to go, you know, and go get it done. Uh, it's interesting to see these the, the teams that are left, the left behind, how they're coming to reality of who they are. And also coming to reality of what they could be. The moment OU and Texas stop existing inside the Big 12, who's it going to be? Who's running this place? They all have to look at each other immediately. Because all right now, they're all focused at OU and Texas and being like, fuck you guys for leaving us. We're dead. And eventually, they're all going to stop and look around and say, well, who is going to sit on that throne now? (laughs) Uh, And it seems like Texas Tech is doing the opposite of Oklahoma State and is bringing in talent instead of letting your best coordinators leave. Um, so it, it'd be interesting to see what Texas Tech does in the, in the new Big 12. Um, but it seems like they're, 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 they're willing to spin the, the win some football games. So maybe some old uh, uh, Southwest Conference days, maybe they're, they're coming back too. All right, it's, we'll talk more on Texas Tech. Of course, we'll get into that in the offseason, um, especially with the fact that they are – one of those unique teams that I think, again, has a chance to be pretty good next year with some of the pieces they've brought in. Um, but regardless of that, Peyton, like I said, the offensive staff, uh, the four guys, and they're going to be surrounding Jeff Levy. I'm just going to say this. I think that when we recorded last, we both had our comments on Jeff Levy. The fact that Bill Beanbow's sticking around, I know this isn't, and I'm not making any excuses for the hire. I'm not doing this, I'm not doing that. Obviously, compromise is going to have to be met at some point. Um, but at the same time, I have my own personal feelings. I still don't think it's the direction you should go. TCU just has said, screw it. We're just going to hire the guy at the forefront of it in Kaz Kazadi, as well as the Buckles, the corners coach that was there at the time. But if you are going to make that move, and if Joe Castiglione is going to sign off on it, it almost has to be done with Bill Beatonbow. Like, I know, Peyton, you don't know. I know you haven't gotten to interview him. You haven't got to know him as a person, this and that. There is, of any coach that I've come into contact with, there's a couple of them. Matt Rule loved his players, cared about the kids and every, all the development and that stuff. He's one of them. Um, but Bill Beatonbow's right there. He really genuinely cares about what's best for his players. And if it's funny, Peyton, of all the position groups last year you heard problems about, right? Uh You know, last two years, let's go through it. Seth McGowan, major trouble, major trouble person. Um, You have a a receiver. You have a tight end. You have quarterback with Spencer Rattler that had some obvious character, you know, concerns, spending a lot of nights out at at social, at uh, Nompton Social in Norman. The position group that didn't, and that's for a reason. And because he coaches his players hard and those players respect him, and I don't think they want Bill Bebo to get mad at him. And so if there's the staff that they've put together around them are a bunch of high character guys and Joe John Finley, DeMarco Murray, um, Kale Gundy, Bill Biedenboe. That makes me 
feel a lot better about the situation because, again, Jeff Levy's not just a running backs coach here. Jeff Levy's not just a quarterbacks coach. He's overseeing 50, you know, 40 to 50 young men and develop, developing them into better people. And the track record he obviously had at Baylor is not good. Um, but it, it makes me feel a lot better if, if it's Bill Beatonbow, you know, opposed to what was been mentioned with Randy Clements. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I will say my time interviewing football players professionally uh, or interviewing athletes professionally, which I have done for the Choctaw Nation, we, we'd go out sure. and we'd interview Choctaws who were succeeding. You know, um, we got, I got the wonderful chance to hang out with James Winchester for a few days, talking about him going to the Super Bowl and stuff like that. And kind of bringing up some questions, bringing up, talking about Joe Mixon, talking about Tyreek Hill. And it's hard for them to answer because once you're inside that locker room, you are family to such a degree to where me as an outsider, I, I would never be able to understand it. Um, and I think the coaching fraternity is that same way. Uh, so potentially they could just be, hey, you messed up back in the past, but that's the past. You're part of the family regardless we're, we'll go and take care of it. We'll, we'll, we'll do it, you know? Um, so to me, certain pro athletes and stuff just don't have the ability because the, the powerful empathize with the powerful. And so they don't have the ability to maybe call out somebody else in the way other people can from the outside. Um, so that's the only real worry I have of that was, they may be so close to it because he did play there. They do know each other. They have a lot of personal relationships and, and, and ties together. Uh, the ties that bind like a Johnny Cash would say it, it's, it, it can cloud your judgment to a certain degree. And like I said, if they hired Levy at OU scores touchdowns, I'm going to cheer. I'm also going to think they could probably do this with another guy too, if they have to, you know, <laughs> you know, I mean, Leach was OC for one year and then went on. Maybe that's something that Levy does too. Uh, if OU wins, I'll, I'll be happy, um, but I will question that hire, and, and I will probably put it in the negative tally mark for for Brent if they make that hire. Just in my personal opinion, just my personal opinion. I'm not. I mean, I live in southeastern Oklahoma. Every single stereotype we have Oklahomans, <laughs> southeast Oklahoma actually is okay. <laughs> so I live in the real quote unquote real Oklahoma. Uh, so I understand it. Let's play some football. I I'm waiting to make people. a southeast joke for this whole time, and I'm glad you went with the first one because I, I could I would have felt you got really to. bad. You got to. And I grew up in Hugo, Oklahoma. I understand it. They're like if they're arrested on Friday, as long as they put on Saturday, I don't care. You know, I mean, it, you know, there's some stuff there, um, and I and I understand that, and I get that. But there there are some like real life comparisons about that. I mean, I would suggest uh, our listeners to go look up Operation Paperclip. I mean, and see how the United States government. Dealt with bringing over uh, Nazi scientists to start the NASA program. Uh, fantastic things happened. Uh, but the United States of America used Nazi scientists <laughs> to figure it all out um, and, and kind of see what sort of moral reckoning you can have with that stuff and start looking at some of these things that are great. And then you find out, oh, there's something kind of rotten at the core of it. Good people can't hide the idea that there's something rotten there. That's what that term is. It's rotten at the core. You can surround, and I'm not trying to say Levy's a horrible person or whatever. I have very, very complicated ideas and, and, and feelings about if they make that higher. But the, the, you know, 
the fish dies, it rots from the head down. The fruit will rot from the inside out. Surrounding it with good stuff won't hide the fact that you have a bad thing in there and it could impact everything else because positive attitudes are uh, infectious, but probably more so are negative attitudes. So I mean, that's something you can say. We've got Bean Bo, we've got Brent talking about we're serving the heart, not the talent. I mean, you can see all that stuff, but then the moment you allow something to exist that doesn't fall in line with the stuff you've been saying, it shows that you, you weren't serious about the stuff that you're saying. I mean, reputation's hard to build. It takes one, one mistake to knock it all down. Um, and I'm not condemning everything. I'm just saying it's, it's a very complicated moral question that I'm kind of having, and it's just being re- revolved around a child's game. All right, so the defensive staff still in flux. We uh, touched on it. I was going to say I was going to come back to this a second ago. Uh, Todd Bates isn't being announced as a guy that's being elevated to D.C. at Clemson. Uh, it's another person on their staff. I think there's reports out there that Mike Reed, as well as Todd Bates, that coached under Venables at Clemson, will be joining him uh, in Norman. That's not confirmed by anybody. Uh, I've thrown out some you know, other names that I think are out there. Uh, Missouri, the guy that's in Missouri right now, it's a Tulsa native, T.J. Rushing. The guy that was talked about from Texas A&M, now Jerry Schmidt coming. There's an even clearer connection there to get some more information on. Uh, I think there's a, there's a lot of guys. What Brandon Hall, the guy that's that was at Troy. Um, there's a there's a lot of names out there, but I think there's still a lot of to be determined. I think the main thing to touch on here, Todd Bates, who was the Clemson's recruiting coordinator as well as defensive line coach, and I I say this with a big old grin on my face, um, we will, uh, we'll have some discussions about the Clemson, you know, way here in a bit, but it's not for tonight, but it sounds very, very positive. On Monday's post, Peyton asked our patrons, give us their dream staff. Here we go. This week's question of the week from Peyton Guthrie was, what is your dream OU football staff under Brent Venables, John Comstock? Says offensive coordinator Jeff Levy, Cal Gundy, Joe John, DeMarco, Brian Hartline, and Bill Biedenboe for offense. Defense, Jamar Kane, RIP. Clemson's defensive tackle coach, Chip Viney, Clemson's cornerback coach as defensive coordinator, and Alabama's linebacker coach. From Braden K. Says, give me Tommy Moffitt and you can keep the change. Davis Dunkelberger says, I don't know enough about coaching to make dream staffs. I am on the Moffitt strength and conditioning coach train, though. I do prefer Brady over Lebby, but it's not by much. If Josie clears and explains the vetting process for Lebby, I will be happy. F. Baylor. Michael Wenthold says strength and conditioning coach Moffitt. Brady is OC. Bates is D-line coach. It may be time to give Viney a shot as the cornerback coach. I don't know enough about any of the other names thrown out there to have an opinion. Wander LA. I'd take Moffitt. Or Smotherman, parentheses Clemson. Or Dawson, parentheses UCF. Uh, OC, Jeff Lebby. Don't think Brady wants to recruit. DC, Zach Alley. I think most of the offensive side is set. Murray, Gundy, Bill Beatonbow, Joe John Finley. Defensively, I'd like to see Bates follow BV. And I'm intrigued by Aaron Fletcher at DB Coach. Hype Man Harry says promote Kale Gundy as offensive coordinator and Zach Alley as DC. Current. Louisiana Monroe defensive coordinator. Interesting answers there for sure. 
we'll kind of see how this plays out. I do think someone mentioned hiring Schmitty whenever I was seeing some of the comments. So, and they, uh, they hit the nail on the head there. So uh, I wanted to move on here before we get out of here. A couple more things that we need to touch on. Um, big deal. Sent some uh, shockwaves throughout college football. Uh, Texas new NIL deal. And it's going to be very important. And some of the wording here and phrasing here is important too. So I want to mention this first. They had a, something called, I believe, the Clark Field Collective. It's a Texas NIL initiative. This was what they first announced. And it was going to be announced at $10 million in pledges to help facilitate NIL deals for Texas player athletes across all 17 varsity sports. That's important first, right? Um, the second thing that came out is I think is the one that caught people off guard. But I do think there is a, there's a benefit in here, but there's also a benefit for the players. I'm going to get into that. So the heart, the horn for hearts uh, announcement that they, you know, they're going to make, you know, $50,000 pledge to every offensive lineman every season um, annually for their use of their name, image, and likeness. They're calling it the Pancake Factory. Payton, this is where this is get a little bit of murky because I think people are thinking these players are getting $50,000 handed to them and that's their money. But the release and what they said is that that's $50,000 to go to charitable funds. So – they're giving these players $50 million to give to charities of their own choice. Great story. I want to say that. Congratulations to Texas on that because that's a cool thing. That's a great deal, um, you know, to provide that. On the flip side, congrats to Texas for giving their players a way to get out of paying taxes on $50,000 that they make in the future. Right? Like, that's exactly what they're doing, right? They're giving their players $50,000 to donate money so they can help. It doesn't, you know, they can help pay for their taxes in the state of Texas as well as federal taxes. Yeah, I mean, galaxy brain stuff. Congratulations, Tom. Yeah, yeah, to a certain degree. I mean, um, the, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the Texas stat, uh, Texas doesn't have a state tax uh, at that level. So I don't think they really need that much to, to hide from there. I mean, USC should do something like that. Uh, Texas, uh, their income tax is pretty damn low, to be honest with you. Unless these players own property, their property tax in Texas is sky high (laughs) compared to what it is in Oklahoma. Uh, Everything, that's the other thing. Everything people think about Texas politically, Oklahoma actually is, uh, (laughs) which is kind of funny. Uh, We're much more the Wild West than Texas is at this point in time. Um, Cool for them. I, I will always be happy when we're when we're allowing players to be charitable or allowing players to use their voice and use their talents to affect change in their communities uh, and allow that to happen and allow these guys to really grow into that. Because if you're playing at, at the University of Texas, to be honest with you, I, I love to troll on them. You should be getting drafted and you should be making money at, at a higher level down the road. And it'll be nice for them to have this type of experience moving forward and understand this stuff and know what it is to be charitable and to spend this type of money and help other people. That is really awesome. I mean, we are in much more of a society of a social change and social justice and these players want to have more of a voice. That's awesome. I think that's super cool. Um, If OU does respond to something like that, uh, OU football better just give them (laughs) $50,000. (laughs) <laughs> and let's go get some five-star offensive linemen. But I don't want to hear about the, how they get them with charity. <laughs> sure, but isn't that like Texas is certainly now put Oklahoma in a weird spot? Like now, it's like now Oklahoma's guys have to provide this, right? And that's what NIL is supposed to be. 
that's what you know, I think a lot of Darren Ravel's stupid tweet today. I think there's some truth to it. Like there's people that believe it, like kind of seeing how the sport is made and how it's been made for a, a century, right? Where all the blue blood programs have more resources with bigger donors that are paying players under the table. Now you're just seeing out in front of everybody, but now like they've, Texas has set a president. Texas, Texas A&M's had no problem slinging money around NIL stuff. But Oklahoma, um, LSU, I mean, you go through the list of SEC programs that Texas will be competing with now, they're going to have to match that in some sort of way to be able to compete because it's going to hurt you on the recruiting trail if you, if you don't. Um, read something today from ESPN. I don't know if it's true or not. I, I don't believe it. That when If you sign with the University of Texas, this is what this said, if you're an offensive lineman, that you're now guaranteed, based off all the initiatives already, before your own name, image, and likeness deals, you're guaranteed to make $150,000 a year. Now, $50,000 of that is supposed to go to charitable funds. But I guess just throw as much money as that offensive lineman to fix that offensive line room. Like, you know, like, I guess that's the mentality they have. But at the same time, like, like I said, like, this is the president that Oklahoma is going to have to meet here. Like, because if they don't, like – and you start losing, you know, they're going to lose Devin Campbell probably because of the coaching change. But that's a guy they probably should have landed. You know, you're going to go in these battles with these big-time guys against Texas, against Texas A&M, against LSU, against Alabama. You're going to have to meet some of the things from an NIL perspective across the board, not individualized, not saying that you're going to weaponize NIL to go land Quinn Ewers. That bullshit's not going to happen. But you got to be able to meet that precedent that's been set because if you don't, you're going to fall behind. And that's the world we're in with NIL. It's confusing. It doesn't make much sense. Uh, but that's where we're at. And Oklahoma's got to meet that. And if they don't pay, and I think people like fans like you, fans like everybody else out there, they're going to be upset that if uh, the Tim Headingtons of the world that, that are flying the administrators administration out to Clemson and the most insane private jet, it's not the most insane. One of the crazier, nice ones that I've seen um, like, those guys need to step up now at this point for Oklahoma if they want to win the, th- the way they want to win. Yeah, and I think OU is up for the challenge. I mean, Josie wouldn't have said the things he said that press conference if OU wasn't going to do those things. Um, the, the stuff Texas put together is, is, like you said, put together by former uh, former players. They probably have a lot more backing from boosters as well to take care of that. OU has a lot of really successful and really rich uh, OU former players as well that could team up and do something like that and partner with the school. I think OU is probably, in my opinion, will go more down that Ole Miss route of saying, hey, we have this money that we can pay you directly if you meet certain grades and stuff like that. Uh, I think that's what's going to happen. So, again, it's all incentive-based. OU is an incentive-based program. They can't just get guys who are like, I'm just great. I'm just going to be great, whatever. I mean, OU is a hard work, blue-collar program. Um, and, And honestly, I hate saying the term blue collar when it comes to like football programs and stuff, when we actually have blue collar people who work really hard and none of these guys will ever work as hard as this guys uh, do. Uh, but OU is just a grittier type of program. That's not going to throw money around the way they do. It's like, congratulations. You're now saying you can publicly pay all these guys, Texas, when you were already paying all these guys, Texas, and you still weren't getting all this stuff done. So some of this stuff is going to be the status quo to a certain degree, but I do think you will see OU announcing more incentive-based payment programs that the school can do. And I would assume they're going to completely loosen up the NIL stuff pretty quickly. Yeah, they're going to have to. Okay. Before we get out of here, uh, the college football playoff was set. Peyton, 
I know I don't want to touch and kind of give some quick thoughts here. Obviously, number one versus number four, Alabama against Cincinnati. We'll dive into more of these games as it gets closer. What are uh, initial thoughts there on the matchup between the Crimson Tide and the fighting Luke Fickles in Cincinnati? Uh, honestly, I, I, I'm of two minds of this game. Either Alabama's just going to completely run them off the field because uh, Alabama ran Georgia completely off the field, <laughs> or Cincinnati's for real. And it's going to come down to a fourth quarter football game. Um, I think Cincinnati's very, very, very solid. I think Alabama can get got. We've seen it before. We've seen it this year. I think Cincinnati's a better team than AM is. I think they're a better team than Florida is. I think they're a better team than Auburn is. Uh, and they either, those teams either beat Bama or push them to the absolute limit. So um, either we're going to find out that the corners can't run or Clemson, I'm sorry, Clemson, uh, Cincinnati is able to hang on a little bit further down the line than we, than we think. I don't think it's – to me, it's a coin toss between those two scenarios. You've heard me talk about Georgia all year and, like, waiting for an offensive line that can pick up them up front and that they had problems in coverage. Now, that really diminished my chances of Georgia winning a national championship, which I – to tail end of this season, I desperately need. Uh, yeah. No, I'm joking around there. But uh, Cincinnati's a lot – this sounds crazy – more continuity with that defense these guys have played in Luke mm-hmm. Finkel's system for mm-hmm. a lot longer they're a lot more disciplined defensively I think they're gonna I think it's gonna be hard like they're gonna bracket some guys and they're gonna show some coverages and dive back and you know bluff some blitzes and get con- and confuse Bryce Young um maybe not Bryce Young pe- I don't I'm not gonna say, say he peaked at the Georgia game but he hadn't played like that all year and he showed up on the big stage and good for him he's gonna win the Heisman now um, great story for him. Second matchup, you get Georgia against Michigan, and I think that's the one everybody's going to be watching. Two yep. teams that are very, very similar. I don't know who to pick in this game. Um, I just want to say this before I throw it back to you. Uh, your college football playoff quarterbacks are Stetson Bennett, Bryce Young, Kate McNamara, and uh, um, Desmond Ritter. And in this game, you get Cade McNamara against Stetson Bennett. And I think – I don't know if we've had a playoff game between two worst quarterbacks. <laughs> uh yeah, I, I would agree with there. Yeah, I don't think you have either. Um, I think what you have is you have Georgia looking into the mirror and you have Michigan looking into the mirror. The issue is Michigan is just a less talented version of Georgia. So they're, they want to do the exact same thing. They want to push you around. They want to run the football. It's going to be really, really interesting to see how both of these teams respond to this. I think and, and call me crazy and, and correct me if I'm wrong here. I think Michigan has faced tougher tests that can, Thousand help, percent. Them re- Thousand can percent. help them relate to this game. They've played other Big Ten teams that say, all we're going to do is punch you in the face and we don't care. Uh, I don't think Georgia has faced a team quite like that. Uh, so that will be interesting. I think Georgia squeezes this out. To be honest with you, I'm kind of a Jim Harbaugh fan. I know he's cheesy and he's corny, he's whatever. The reason why I'm a Jim Harbaugh fan is because one, he uh, beat up on USC and I don't like USC. And right now he's coaching at Michigan and I really don't like Ohio state. So I'm a Jim Harbaugh fan. <laughs> it makes sense. Uh, it will be kind of cool if George, I think the difference here is that I think Gaddis has a much, much, much more interesting offense than Georgia does. Georgia seems to rely a lot on talent. Um, and Gaddis is really scheming up that run game, and it's really fun to watch. Uh, it really makes me 
think it's like the 1980s watching some old football tapes and stuff like that. It's, it's really cool to see uh, him do that. That's going to be a tough game. That's going to be a 20 to 18 type game <laughs> uh, when it comes down to it. Oklahoma State loses Jim Knowles to Ohio State. He won't be coaching in the bowl game. Yeah. You um, hate to see it. I'll give Ryan Day this. You know this. You've heard me say this. When he hired Kerry Coombs back as a defensive coordinator, that was a major red flag. Um, he goes one for two. Uh, hiring Jim Knowles is probably getting the best defensive coordinator on the market uh, is really, really impressive from them. A guy that turned down a job to go coach with the freaking Packers. Um, and he's going to go to Ohio State, which is crazy to think about. Um, I'm sure we'll dive into more of that as we get into Oklahoma State in the off season. Uh, finally, Peyton, the final two things we're going to touch on before we get out of here. New Year's Six Bowls are electric. Electric. I am as good of matchups as we've had. Utah, Ohio State, Ole Miss, Baylor, uh, and Oklahoma State, Notre Dame. Now, they're going to not have Jim Knowles, but I would imagine – I mean, if Jim Knowles is in, I would I would anticipate he's going to stay and coach throughout the 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 bowl game, right? At this point, because he's not supposed to go to Ohio State until January second. So he's yeah, he's going to be coaching the bowl that, game. That'll be yeah, a, that'd, that'll be be really good game. that'd be my guess. Be really that that that'd be my guess. Yeah. So, anyways, yeah, I mean, some big time match like viewing, and I'm excited to kind of see how they all match up against each other because like. What Ole Miss does well offensively, Baylor does well defensively. What Notre Dame does well offensively, Oklahoma State does well defensively. What Utah does defensively is goes against what Ohio State does good offensively. Like this is it's part it's almost perfect. Now the other one you get Pittsburgh and Michigan State. That'll be fun as hell. There will be zero defense played in that game. Um, Kenny Pickett may throw for 500 yards on Michigan State's defense, um, but it'll be uh, pretty fun. What some what's your thoughts on the uh, New Year's Six Bowl? I think it's some interesting stuff there, like you said. I mean, you can kind of tell. I, I'm a little bit conspiracy theory, a little bit. Uh, I think there's probably a chance, oh, you could have been there inside New Year's Six Bowl, but they they said they, they, they don't have a head coach, so let's knock them back. They talked about that with Notre Dame, but then they hired the guy they hired, and they're like, okay, well, it's a continuation of everything. Everything should be fine. Um I think it would just be interesting. I mean, the New Year's Six Bowl, they've been kind of devalued to a certain degree other than just a pure football watching experience. It doesn't seem as much on the line uh, to me personally. Um, I, I think Utah is going to be like the Utah team that was really well until they played a team of athletes um, when Oregon mopped the floor with them a couple of years back. I think that's probably something that's going to happen again. I, they just do not have guys who can run with those wide receivers, and that's probably what the game's going to be, those guys running in the – yeah, defensive uh, back end, just crazy wide open guys. So uh, I think that's going to be there. The Baylor stuff is kind of interesting just from the two teams. Uh, they, they could not be different uh, culturally and stylistically. Sure. So that type of stuff uh, will be pretty fun to watch. And honestly, I think this could be one of Mike Gundy's, you know, shining cap seasons. This will be one of the seasons they put on his um, – the DVD or, or the Blu-ray of his coaching career will be this season if they can pull it off against Notre Dame um, and give them some momentum. But, I mean, it's looking rough for them next year, to be honest with you, losing, I mean, the best coach they had on their staff, uh, to be honest with you, in my opinion, um, and, and see what happens for them moving forward. Oklahoma gets Oregon in the Alamo Bowl. Like, do you even care? I don't oh, care. for sure. Oh, for sure. I mean, I I, I care. I mean, there, there's a – I've gotten some texts – 
I mean, I may go down there. haven't decided yet. Um, it'll be cool. I mean, it could be uh, Caleb Williams last, last uh, game in the OU Sooner Jersey. <laughs> Maybe he's at the OU basketball <laughs> game tonight, by the way, which again, yeah. you want to look for signs. You want to, that's one. You want to. Um, and I will say this. And I've stated this before. Um, they're very calculated people. They're going to mm-hmm. put Caleb. Caleb's going to go to whatever the best situation is, which is why he's yeah. not going to go to you, which is why he's not going to USC. If he goes to USC, I would be stunned. I'm going to say that. I'm going to say that plain and clear. The, the heartbreak and being mad at Lincoln to the Caleb Williams level is probably not going to happen. Um, but they're, they're going to go through this process. They're going to put him in the best position to be successful. That's got the best offensive line, the best skill players around them. Um, and right now, when you kind of look across the sport at like what opportunities are out there, like I, it all kind of comes back down to one school and it's the school that he's at. And yeah. so I don't know, we'll see how this plays out. Um, as I said, I got to, as more information rolls in over the next couple of weeks, we're going to have to be pretty careful, but I, uh, I, I think that this is going to be a situation where they, st- after the bowl game, they take a step back, they look at the situation, they talk with Jeff Levy, um, and I think there's a, you know, there, I, I'm not going to say anything ne- negative about super scoop or, you know, their podcast or whatever, you know, they mentioned that, you know, it may not intrigue Caleb to run the football 20 times a game. Like Matt Corral had to against Tennessee. Like, I think the opposite, when you talk about, when I went and talked about his, you know, when talked to his old high school coaches and when I did my big profile on him, Peyton, like Caleb was always a guy that no matter whatever they needed to win, he would do it. Now that's on the surface level. All of these yeah. young quarterbacks know they want to do whatever they possibly can to get to the NFL and killing your body like Matt Corral has had to do. I mean, talking about the Baylor Ole Miss game, Matt Corral was like barely practicing the last half of the season. Like we're talking a guy that just got his ass handed to him because he's not that body type. But that's what Ole Miss needed for him to do to win. Caleb Williams is more akin to that, right? Like I think his body type, mm-hmm. he takes too many hard hits compared to most runners. But at the same time, like, I think he's fine with that. And here's the other thing, too. Caleb Williams is a guy that would love Jerry Schmidt. Love Jerry Schmidt. Caleb Williams wants someone to rip his ass. He yeah. wants someone to get – wants someone to push him. And we'll see. You know, I uh, – it's going to be interesting. I don't want to make any promises about anything. But, like I said, knowing his family, knowing the kid, look at all these other situations um, that are out there right now. There's not many that are better. The only one – and it's close to home that I'm wondering if, you know, we'll see him go down that route as Penn State. Uh, solid offensive line room. They've recruited skill talent really well. Got a great OC up there in Mike Yursich. Um, their offense struggled this year, but Peyton, I think we have the same opinion on Sean Clifford. Um, yeah. And uh, so, regardless of that, we missed anything? Again, another really solid podcast. We haven't. If you guys got to this point, that's patreon.com slash through the keyhole. The first Brent Venables video is up. We'll be breaking down the dime defense he ran against Ohio State. You've seen two masterpieces from Brent Venables, Peyton. You've seen the 4-2-5 he deployed against Bama in the championship game. You saw the 3-2-6 he ran against Ohio State in 2019. Uh, you'll see a mix of that, I, I would imagine, both in Norman. We'll dive into both of those things, like I said, on patreon.com. So I threw the keyhole. Go check out um, Anytime Fitness in Oklahoma City. Uh, 519 uh, Northwest 23rd Street. That would be a place to go. Mention us, mention Matt, mention me. 
mentioned uh, Peyton Guthrie, mentioned Brady Trantham. We'll get you hooked up. Uh, and like I said, if you made it this far, please subscribe to the podcast. Give us a little five-star review, comment as we continue to gain chemistry. I think the last, like, ever since the first podcast, it's actually been really, really well. So thanks to Peyton. Thanks to our producer, Matt Burden, as always. Uh, and we'll talk to you guys Sunday. Boomer. <laughs> <laughs>